Hi, you're listening to Mindful Mutterings Goes Travelling, the mindfulness-based travel podcast for all of us adventurers who love to go travelling, love to live in the present moment and want to make life a more enriching experience. Thanks for listening. Hi, so thanks for joining me. And if I sound a little bit strange, and I do apologise, I sound very strange to myself. We had lots of turbulence on uh, one of our flights and uh, my head just feels really woolly and I sound like I'm underwater. So bear with me, but I'm sure we'll be fine. Anyway, thanks for joining us. So this is um, our adventures in South India, which was just incredible. So after a very smooth Emirates flight with lots of lovely gluten-free food for me, we arrived in Dubai for our stopover and what an amazing airport. Uh, we checked out the shops, headed for a bar with a view of the planes and whiled away our time until our next flight. Uh, after we arrived in Koshin and navigated immigration, which can take a while, so much so that they provide comfy armchairs while you wait. It's all set up like a colonial house, it's mad. Uh, so we're finally stamped and sorted and we met our guide and headed off to the hotel. And the first thing that you notice um, in, once you get there in South India is that it's so much calmer in the north. The north is just chaotic, the travel and the noise and the roads. But here in the south, it's very organised. There's not many animals wandering around and it has a much more cosmopolitan feel to the place. Anyway, checked in, headed off for lunch. Once again, food was amazing buffet of local curries and dips and chutneys. And yeah, just absolutely yummy. Um, there was also quite a lot of Indonesian food and yeah, loads of fruit. Um, I absolutely love the Kerala, Kerala and fish curry uh, and the mushroom masala. Just, oh, just mouthwateringly delicious. So we had the afternoon um, at leisure. So not being ones for sitting around because we want to get everything out of every trip we do. We booked an Uber and headed off to the nearest beach, which was about half an hour's drive away. <laughs> our driver was so lovely that he decided he was going to wait for us so that we could take as long as we wanted to chill on the beach um, and he would wait for us and then take us back which is brilliant because at least we knew that we could definitely get back to the hotel didn't want to get stranded on our first day uh, and the beach didn't disappoint it was a just lovely mixture of yellow and black sand got my first glimpse of the Arabian Sea and the first thing that strikes you as really obvious is that most of the people in the water are fully clothed. There was not a swimsuit in sight. You had a woman in full saris sitting in the sea or playing with their kids in the sea. And yeah, it was just, just beautiful. Uh, so obviously, being us, our next stop was to find a beachside bar for a mango lasse. Now, lasse is a yogurt-based drink um, that... Oh, it couldn't have had more flavour. It was absolutely jam-packed with beautiful mango. Just delicious. And so there we are, sat in our beachside bar, overlooking the Arabian Sea. We've got all, this, all these colourful people in front of us, all in their beautiful saris and sawas, all playing in the sea. And it was just magical. And that's when you have to kind of pinch yourself and you think, oh, so grateful, here I am, you know, back in India, which I absolutely love anyway. And... Um, and being able to do this and the people they're so friendly we walk past this family extended family there was loads of people loads of kids and they dressed all the kids in the same um colors so they could spot them easily while they were running up and down the beach obviously we we got asked to have our photos taken because i think pretty much we were the only white people on the beach um and oh we just chatted with them and they make you feel so welcome and their hearts are so full and yeah it's just it's just a joyous experience 
so anyway time to go so we left the beach returned to the hotel um in one piece despite the somewhat chaotic driving i did say it was less manic than the north not that it was completely safe it's still crazy driving over there uh so we decided to have a quick dip in the rooftop pool while the sun set again just you have to pinch yourself you're surrounded by palm trees and you're on a rooftop bar and you're watching the sunset in India just so much to be grateful for just amazing um and yeah so we headed off for dinner and just another array of fabulous food uh, next morning we were lucky enough to be having a tour of the city centre so we first went to the oldest church that they have there which is um, St Francis. Now it's a very to tolerant region where we were because um, there's an with the population originally having a heavy Portuguese influence there's an awful lot of uh, Catholics um, living in Koshin. Um, and you obviously you get the Hindi and Muslim temples and, you, and mosques and you can find a church um, Really, you can look down any street and you'll almost always find a church, a mosque, a temple and maybe even a synagogue all next door to each other. And everyone just, just seems quite happy and tolerant about that. And everyone just jogs along nicely together. And you do get this, this very calm feeling of the area. It's beautiful. So from, from um, the church, we walked to the remains of the Portuguese fort, for which Fort Cochin is named. Uh, and then we went off to see the amazing feat of engineering that are the giant Chinese fishing nets. So they use these huge nets on a cantilever system, which is so simple, yet works so brilliantly. Um, and they lower, stay in the water for five or so minutes, and then lift back out of the water for the fishermen to collect their catch, which they then sell on the quayside um, fish market. This was not my favourite place. Firstly, not, not great with... Uh, half dead animals around everywhere but oh the smell so you've got like all these fishermen selling their wares so you've got all these mounds of not quite dead fish for sale which is a bit much and in my opinion if you're going to kill an animal for food at least do it quickly so there's minimal suffering um i mean i'm not a vegetarian but i, I definitely don't want to see any animal suffering ever especially not um unnecessarily um, anyway, so while everyone was looking at the fish, I chose to have a little wander around the trader stalls, bought myself a lovely dress, got myself a fabulous parasol to add to my collection, my growing collection I might add, because I never remember to pack them when I'm going and I always end up having to buy a new one. Anyway, I was very happy with my purchases. Um, and so then we were taken to see how the Tamil run laundry works. So um, sending the washing out is very common in India. Um, and we're taken to this building and there's a series of small concrete block houses where the washing is done um, and still mostly by hand and to achieve the brilliant white that they get they use a mixture of chlorine and a blue dye type solution so out of monsoon season the washing is dried in this huge field full of washing lines just an amazing sight to see uh, but in the rain it's hung up from the roof in one half of this huge large room and in the other half, they iron using incredibly heavy steam irons and a lot of starch. So I had a go at the ironing and can tell you that bingo wings would be a thing of the past if I had to iron using that every time. It was so, so heavy. And the thing that's really obvious here is obviously um, the caste system legally has been abolished in India, but it still runs strong, um, or at least in... Um, from my experience, from what I see, it still runs strong. And we were explained that because of that, the, the, the laundry is run by Tamils um, and there's a lot of people that come from Tamil Nadu down into um, Koshin and surrounding areas or in Kerala. 
um, but that the, they are still kind of trapped by their caste. Doesn't matter how educated they are, doesn't matter what opportunities present themselves, they can't progress very far through the um, economy. Um, and this was a result of it. They had um, in the past a very um, well-educated, very intelligent Tamil man who created opportunities for fellow Tamils to have a better standard of living through providing them with work that they could um, run themselves. And so this is how this laundry got set up. So it was really interesting and also really sad that, well, I don't know if it was sad really, because kind of it, it works really well in as much as they're all in charge of their own um, employment and what comes in for them and how they work and what they want to work. And, so, and you don't have one person building an empire around other people's employment. Um, but by the same token, there isn't that freedom to move up the social ladder for them that we experience. But then different cultures, different people, I don't think it's really my place to, to say one way or the other which one is better or works well. Anyway, politics aside, then jumped into a tuk-tuk, headed on to the Manchetti Palace. So this was built by the Dutch and gifted to the Maharaja um, as an apology for raiding a temple. Uh, Dutch behaved pretty badly, gave this uh, palace to the Maharaja to kind of smooth stuff over so that he wouldn't kick them all out. And it houses the most incredible carved wooden ceilings and stunning murals depicting the Hindu stories. And they have been incredibly preserved. Uh, they were painted straight onto the walls using dyes made from lapis lazuli, lapis, red stone, lime, and then glazed with, amazingly, an egg white mixture. And that has stood the test of time. There was a couple of patches that had been destroyed. But on the whole, these murals are still beautifully vibrant and in the amazing condition that they were when they were painted hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So that we were really lucky to see that. That was fantastic. So um, then we headed back to the hotel for lunch and bearing in mind it's very hot in South India, you know, you're hitting 35, 36, 37 degrees. So definitely staying out of the midday sun is, is quite important here. So we chilled in the afternoon around the uh, pool and just had time to kind of adjust um, after all the traveling and the excitement of being back in India. Following morning, got on the bus, began our journey from the lowlands of South India towards the midlands of the region by heading off to the Anthropoly waterfall. So this waterfall flows into the Chalakudi River past nutmeg trees and plantations. Um, and in places it feels like you're in the jungle, you know, there's so many trees and it's so green and so lush. So we wound our way up to about 50 metres above sea level and just had incredible views of this waterfall so for a better view of it we walked down through all the trees and you're walking at quite an angle um and we saw a giant squirrel a giant giant tree squirrel and when i say giant i mean it it was huge a massive great thing and there was monkeys and yeah it's just i love to see the wildlife but when when they're just kind of walking around you and through you and hanging over you it's just it's just crazy so it's amazing uh we saw a herd of antelope um as we were walking our way down the treacherous path um and then once we got to the bottom of the waterfall oh it was just just stunning so you've got the waterfall flowing down over the rocks and you've got all the beautiful women in their saris having picnics with their children and you've got children running around and oh it was just so lovely um 
So we stopped to have our photos taken by some of the families that were out for the day. Uh, um, and this was Sunday that we went there. And Sunday is a day of rest um, in that area. Almost all the shops are shut. Families come together, generally, generally weirdly enough, for a large meal of roast meat. And then they have tapioca with chilies and coconut instead of our roast potatoes. Um, but yeah, the, you could draw the similarities. It was really cool. Um, and then the return, the return journey from the waterfall back up to where we had to meet our guide was hard work oh 35 degrees sun's beating down on you you're walking at like a 90 degree angle on paths that aren't really made up and you've got bits of trees sticking out and you've got you're trying to avoid the monkeys and you're trying to avoid everybody else and oh it's just great just amazing and as always i'm so so mindful of how lucky i am and how grateful i am that I can have these experiences, that I get to meet these beautiful people around the world, that we get to see these countries and go to places that, when I was a child, I only ever dreamed of. So yeah, just the most amazing, amazing start to our stay. Um, and then uh, back on the coach, we resumed our journey north to Thrissur. So I hope you'll join me for the next episode to see how we got on with that. Take care. Thanks for listening. Hi, thanks for joining me for part two of our South Indian adventure. So, um, been on the coach for a while and finally arrived at the Ayurvedic Resort in Thrissur in the afternoon. So we just had time to swim in what was the most beautiful infinity pool with a view of the river, um, which was just beautiful. There was um, water buffalo swimming in the river and kids playing in the river. Um, anyway, so we had our quick swim and then went off for our Ayurvedic massages. So separated by sex for the massages, uh, women massaging women, men massaging men. And I had a lovely Ayurvedic doctor massage me. She's been a doctor for 28 years um, and she comes to work on her little scooter every day. Um, and so Ayurveda is the treatment system of choice in South India. Um, and it's based on lots of stuff around how the body works, our doshas, our pittas, um, and about generally working in harmony with our body and acknowledging the changes that that makes. So... She had me strip off completely, completely naked um, and gave me this little gauze kind of sumo type wrestler nappy thing to put on. Anyway, looking fabulous and suitably attired, sat in a chair, uh, boobs hanging in the wind um, and just given a head massage, which was absolutely lovely. It was invigorating and relaxing at the same time. Um, and there's, I, I have to stress, like lots of people... Um, have issues around being naked in front of other people or um, sometimes massage can have a little bit of a strange reputation but at all times this, there was n never at any point did you feel uncomfortable it's completely professional and obviously every area of our body has um, lymph nodes and, and works with our lymphatic system and needs to be massaged appropriately so this this was all just part of a different experience and I had had a verdict massages before so I kind of knew what to expect Anyway, so she helps me onto this wooden massage table and then proceeds to cover me in the most amazing smelling warm medicated oil. So it's full of herbs and spices and stuff that's really helpful in balancing the system and uh, removing toxins. So using a series of sweeping movements, she massaged all of my front, including the boobs. Um, and like I say, it's the whole point of the smoothing it's like an effleurage it's to stimulate lymphatic system so that you're getting rid of all the stuff in your body that's no good for you and to stimulate the immune system um 
she noticed some stiffness around my shoulder so she got these hot herbal pouches which have also been soaked in the medicated oil and she was like pushing them into the affected area it was quite a firm pressure but it was actually amazing how quickly it improved my joint mobility so like even throughout the massage as she was moving my arm around you could see the movement extending it was, it was just amazing uh, after turning me over she did more of the same on my back palms and my feet using a little bit of reflexology um, and then she carefully held me up. I mean, I've got more oil on me like, than a chip. So walking was tricky. Getting off the couch was tricky. But the massage itself was really, really relaxing. It was absolutely beautiful. And I did feel so much better after it. Um, so I was really interested to see how that would play out over the next couple of days. Anyway, she held my hand to help me into the bathroom. And I did have to smile as I wondered which bit of my nakedness she would grab hold of if uh, I fell and actually how effective that would be considering how slippery I was but anyway didn't fall managed to get into the bathroom safely and then she soaked my hair and body and washed me down with hot water and then dried me off so it's a really you feel very pampered and cared for and it's there's definitely an energy exchange as well like that there is that trust and that openness between you and I love that connection with people so yeah fabulous experience for me really enjoyed it uh, and as I said, it was lovely and relaxing and my skin and hair has never been so soft. It's just, just feels totally luxurious and well conditioned. Um, so I was left for the rest of the day just to kind of let that settle, let my energy rebalance. Didn't really fancy much for dinner. I was feeling very chilled and yeah, just felt I needed to just honour my body and let it just not put anything unpleasant into it. So I was stuck on water and a little bit of veg really and it was... It was just, yeah, it was a really nice experience. So next day we were taken to a local university which specialises in Kathakali. Now, Kathakali is um, 400 years, uh, sorry, 4,000 year old art of telling the holy Hindu stories through body language, eye and facial movements. And if you've ever seen, quite often it's a white costume with a big, big skirt to it and then they've got their face painted green um, so that's what I'm talking about if you've seen that before so traditionally all parts are played by men uh, but yet, lately young women have been accepted into the university to study um, and we were taken to watch two young young men demonstrate some of the movements from a story and uh, the nine mudras that they use so mudras are hand positions often used in yoga or meditation um, and we were also we also got a demonstration of what the facial expressions represented and what the eye movements meant. And then from there we went to watch two beautiful Indian girls perform a graceful dance. And again, they explained what the movements represented so that we could understand. Um, but more importantly, they get 500 applications every year to this university. Because I wondered if I asked the guide and I wondered if maybe, you know, the young people weren't quite so interested in something that has such cultural um, weight to it and you know, with social media and technology and that had had the interest waned. But she said they had 500 people apply every year and they only offer 72 places. So they are incredibly oversubscribed all the time. Um, so it was really interesting watching that and seeing um, how they managed to tell the stories by it. Um, and we knew that the next day we were all in a couple of days time, we were going to watch a proper um, show of it. So, yeah, it was really good to get an understanding um, into the background of it. And then after lunch, uh, we walked into the town 
um oh honestly we were treated like celebrities um, i'm guessing that tourists don't venture out much from the hotel that we were in and to be fair none of the places that we were visiting were very tourist based anyway lots of um indian tourism but not so much international and so our little white faces stuck out like a sore thumb and we couldn't have been welcomed more honestly we were made to feel so special and so welcomed but we did end up with three personal shoppers of our own as we're walking around the supermarket anxious to show us local produce and what they have and ask questions and it was just it was so lovely and they wanted to know about where we live and what our tattoos mean because my husband and I are both quite heavily tattooed um, <clears throat> and quite a lot of our tattoos are spiritual so we were having a talk about that I know that they were taking photos of us because I could see out the corner of their eye and I'm sure that they have dined out on several stories about the day the white people went shopping in their supermarket but are oh, honestly just such lovely lovely people and we it was it was a funny experience so as we were going back towards the um, hotel we bumped into our guide so we joined him and the driver for masala chai which is one of my favorite indian drinks so chai is a milky tea and masala is a selection of spices mixed into the tea and it's absolutely delicious incredibly refreshing very good for you and literally cost pennies i think it was 10 rupees which is i don't know penny something like that you know it's just crazy or maybe 10p i think it's about 10p so crazy crazy and it was really nice to talk to him you know while he wasn't busy trying to give us lots of information just trying to get to know our guide and and who he is and about his family and that so that was really lovely uh and then that was kind of our day over and done with there and the next day we then had five hours on a coach to get us further into the midlands uh, right up to the tea plantations we went past cows and horses on the road and it began to feel a bit more familiar as we were heading towards the mountains and the animals on the road and the familiar sights and sounds. It was very similar to what we'd experienced in North India and what had been so far missing from our experience in South India. Not, not that we missed it. South India is beautiful and all that, but that's what we'd come to expect in North India. And as we were going up into the mountains, it became a little bit more familiar. So it's fantastic. So we arrived in Muna, which is beautiful, um, settled into our hotel with a view of tea plantations and the mountains and set off straight away for the tea museum um, where we experienced a most torrential downpour. I think we take the weather with us because monsoon season doesn't start till June and it usually is finished by October. And yet last October when we were in North India, we managed to bring two days of torrential rain with us and we did the same this time. So we might not be welcomed back quite so quickly next time. Anyway, so we went to the tea museum, uh, which was, oh, it's just so interesting. I mean, we take tea for granted because we drink so much of it over here, but it was just fascinating. I learned so, so much. So we went past all this antique equipment from the plantations, um, like with the old switchboards and old tea um, brewers and induction motors. Um, to a film room that was our first experience where we watched a documentary on the history of the plantation and it was so so interesting because I didn't understand or I didn't know before the film that the ethos behind the plantations were so amazing so the British set them up they had got approval from the Indian government because this land they didn't think could be used for much else and um, so they've got all the permits and whatever in place 
But then they realised very quickly that they didn't know how to deal with the climate, they didn't know how to deal with uh, soil erosion, they didn't, in fact they didn't know a lot. So they went to the local Indian um, village and they asked for their help and that hasn't changed over the past however many hundred years. Uh, the Indian uh, knowledge is what keeps the plantations running and it's a very different relationship from the one that it was back then. But either way, it was it was always been a very positive um, situation. So, as I was saying, at first it started off that the British had the money and the Indian people had the knowledge. But what's happened is it's become an equal partnership where almost all the Indian employees at the plantation now are shareholders. And to keep everyone thriving and to to maintain the balance and the environment and the equality between people, um, it was from a very quick start after the plantations were planted and, and obviously the tea came from China and the plantations were set up, uh, hotel, uh, hotels, hospitals were built, creches were available, um, food was subsidised, accommodation was provided and ultimately schools. So these became villages really, these plantations, and they provided for everybody Indian and British to live really well and have a good standard of living um, but the most important underlying key was also not to be disturbing the um, environmental infrastructure too much so animals were protected they made sure that they were planting stuff around the tree bushes to keep the wildlife fed um, and that that is very evident all the way through South India in fact, animals come so close to you because they know that you're not a threat to them. They know that they are safe and protected. And that is a privilege, really. It's a, a lovely thing to see. So um, after watching the film, which, like I say, I just kept learning and learning and learning. Um, it's just amazing how much money tea brings into India. And there's one company in particular called Tatar. And they, they, they evolved. They went from tea to making cars to, I mean, you see the word absolutely everywhere in South India. Tatar owns or makes or produces just about everything. And they actually bring in 10% of India's taxable income which is just a frightening amount. But by the same token, they are very altruistic as well and they give back loads to communities and sponsor lots of events and education and healthcare. And, and it works really well out there. It works really, really well. So after the film, we were taken to see how tea is produced. And again, I didn't know any of this. So um, tea grows, obviously, um, but all three types of tea come from the same plant. So white tea which is quite uncommon and expensive is made from the very top leaf the one unfurled top leaf on the plant and then green tea is made from the two leaves underneath that and then black tea comes from the leaves underneath that and the difference between um the green tea and the black tea is oxidization so green tea skips oxidization it's not part of the process of manufacturing green tea and black tea has it, and that's what changes the colour and the taste. So, um, as an aside, assuming it's not grown um, there and comes from its own plants, um, or no, sorry, Assam is not grown there and comes from its own plants, it's grown somewhere else um, in the region, um, and that is a very different tea altogether. But for the teas that we tend to know and that we tend to drink, that's how it's made. So, it's really interesting. So. Um, 
We watched as the leaves were plucked and then they're cut, they're torn and they're rolled to produce the tea that we're familiar with. So, like I said, green tea skips the rolling stages. That's what causes it to oxidise and change colour. Um, and then it's all laid out to dry. And oh, it was so fascinating. It was really, really interesting. And we got to, you know, smell the tea at the different stages and watch the processes. And I, I really, really love the ethos and the premise behind the way the plantations have been and are run. So um, we swam back to the bus. Only kidding. But it was still hammering it down. Uh, and made our way to watch the performance of a Kathakali that we'd had the explanation of the day before. Um, oh, the costumes are amazing. And they weigh up, can weigh up to 40 kilos each. 40 kilos! It's 35 degrees and you're carrying a 40 kilo costume. Um, and they wear up to kind of six layers of makeup. And each layer is applied with coconut oil until it's like a really thick mask. I mean, I, I just can't imagine how hot and um pleasant that must be to wear but anyway it was really cool to see how a whole story is portrayed without a single word being spoken and through the movements and gestures that we've been shown the day before they have drums they do have instruments um but yeah all their movements are in time with the drum yeah fascinating great experience and then following on from that there was a, just a dazzling display of martial arts um Health and safety, not a thing. It was on a hard wooden floor. There was candles and oil everywhere. They almost bashed into walls and stuff. There was one crash mat. That was a like consideration for personal safety. Um, but yeah, they were just amazing. It was kind of a cross between modern gymnastics, yoga and battle skills. And so there were knives and shields and spears and sticks that they were fighting with and tumbling going on and graceful movements as they moved around each other it's just incredible and then we were all told because we were on the front we were told to move back a bit not much just move back a bit as this guy came in with these lit um like oil lamps on sticks which he proceeded to swing around his head and in order and there are sparks flying off everywhere and we're in a wooden building and you're just thinking this is just crazy but the display that he put on, spinning fire all around him, was just, just fantastic. It was amazing. Um, and so the martial arts are only performed by men and they're paid very little to do it. But because it's their passion, just, it's an honour for them to be allowed to do where what it is that their heart wants to do. So they practice every single day, whether there's performance or not. And it, from what I could understand, it's mostly the performances where they get their money from because you're encouraged to tip at the end. But they still have to practice every single day to keep their bodies and their reactions in prime condition. So, yeah, a phenomenal amount of work for them. And if you ever get the chance, go. It's just, just incredible. So, as I said, ecology is at the heart of the plantation surrounding um, us. And it's all you can see for miles. It is the most beautiful, beautiful view. It's just fantastic. Um, and because of this, the diverse wildlife that inhabits the area... Um, needed to be protected and so all that they created a partnership of landowners that owned the plantations and they lobbied the government to have the area made into a protected national park and so we were staying within this national park and they succeeded with this and their home is now a protected place or the park is now a protected home for tigers leopards elephants mountain goats and so many other creatures plants birds and insects so just it's just breathtakingly beautiful i can't tell you i can't use words to describe it it's lush green everywhere you go it's it gives off its own energy you're 
very aware that you are absolutely surrounded by nature in in its entirety and you do have these animals of prey i mean there's very strict rules about the fact you can't go out after half past five or before seven thirty, walking through the park and that because you are dinner you know and so like that respect and that uh vulnerability is very apparent all the time um but anyway so the morning after we'd been to the Kathakali show we visited the Rajamali National Park again amazing amazing place so so pretty and those of you who know me or are regular listeners to the podcast will know how important spending time in nature is to me and this place was just incredible I've already mentioned the energy but I mean you are just surrounded by green and wildlife and uh, beautiful noises and as you're walking through you can literally feel the stress leaving your body and you honestly feel better when you come back out you know on the walk back down we just you feel alive it's just amazing um and yeah i can't imagine what it must be there be like to be there a lot and it it makes you want to meditate it makes you want to go within you it makes you feel so incredibly grateful for the experience that you're having but also the serenity that's there and they've got little benches tucked up and little arches where you could go and sit in peace and and spend some time in meditation just the most incredible place feel very very privileged to have been there um so yeah it was just incredible so um the you've got the rolling mountains all around you you've got the tea plantations you've got flower fields and in flower fields they've got this particular plant um I can't remember the name of it, which is really annoying, but it only flowers once every 12 years. And so the patience that it you know, requires to benefit the, the input that this plant requires is incredible. Um, and it wasn't the 12th year while we were there, so we didn't get to see it. We only got to see a picture. But I just love the fact that everyone's happy to wait for this plant to bloom in 12 years time and then it will be celebrated. Uh, we mostly saw birds and goats while we were there, but... Um, no tigers no no elephants no nothing uh, but mostly just enjoyed the breathtaking view and it as i said it just had the most peaceful atmosphere to it, it so so beautiful and calming um, and it took us twice as long to walk the trail as it should have been because we were stopped for so many photos uh, but honestly people just wanted to know where we were from uh, wanted to just be with us have their photo taken with us ask us questions and they're just so so warm and friendly and welcoming um, just beautiful souls really and in Munar they're mostly from Tamil Nadu originally um, and just have the most beautiful way about them absolutely yeah love the people so on our way back to the hotel we stopped for a walking tour of Munar and here again so much tolerance mosques churches temples all next built next to each other everyone just jogs along kindly so we had a walk through the fruit market amazing vegetables and fruits and just colors and smells it's just fantastic it's a teeny tiny little bit of gift shopping because they're really they don't there's really no kind of tourist industry there you don't get the like toot shops or gift shops or stuff it's um it's great to see actually um and then we stopped at the wine shop so that we could experience <laughs> experience that again so we did this last time we were in india and it's crazy so the wine shop they call it but actually it's um it sells everything uh it's owned by the government it's a government re regulated shop it's got big iron grill across the front you can't go in you have to queue and the queue is huge um and then they sort out your alcohol and you pay for that and there's usually a guy with a gun sat there in case anybody gets the wrong idea 
Um, and it's an unusual way to buy alcohol, but it seems to be very effective out there. So yeah, so we bought um, we bought some Irish, uh, not Irish, we bought some Indian whiskey um, because we knew we were going to be staying on a houseboat with a few other people. So we thought that'd be a great way of breaking the ice. Um, yeah, and we went on our way back to the hotel for lunch. Um, and then so in the afternoon, we visited the Machu Petty Dam. So this is a feat of engineering and it powers the local hydraulic plant. It's built in 1947. Uh, yeah, stunning piece of uh, engineering. So you've got the road running over it and this dam just goes down and down and down and down and down. Um, and obviously then helps divert the water so that they can run the um, hydroelectric plant. Um, and everything here is also about energy cons conservation. Far, we noticed that far much more than we did in the north. Um, it's all, it is all about trying to work in harmony with the planet. Um, and lots of places, plastic bottles are banned. Uh, it's really interesting to see. You don't really see plastic bags. Um, and they're also trying to find ways of using energy more efficiently and with less harmful effects. So, yeah, brilliant. Uh, but you literally try and you take your life in your hands trying to see this dam because the road is... Well, it doesn't seem big enough, the amount of traffic that's going or trying to get down it. Um, and then you have to walk on the road to get to the dam. And yeah, like everything else, you have to be really mindful of where you are and what you're doing and um, other, people's trying to, other people trying to come through from you and scooters coming through and buses and lorries and cars and just try not to get killed, essentially. But um, so far, so good. So that was really interesting. And then from there, uh, we went to Echo Point, which is kind of a it's a, a land um, formation where once you shout out, just because of the way it's uh, been created, it echoes everything. Um, and we did get to hear the echo, but it started to tip it down again by then. So obviously the rain dampens the sound, but it is quite a spectacular thing. You're inside your own echo. So that's really that's something i hadn't experienced before and was really cool so we were all wrapped up in ray max and brolius because we are british after all um and uh didn't let that stop us but as i said it was slightly less of an experience because you know the rain had dampened down the sound but still fantastic so happy grateful and soaked uh we headed back to the hotel for our last night in moonar um, and I hope you will join me to see how we get on on the rest of our adventure in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Hi, and we're back on part three of our South Indian adventure. So we set off really early uh, for Thekadi in the Cardamon Hills and <clears throat> just enjoyed these. Oh, the journey was just amazing. You've got beautiful views of tea and spice plantations. Um, and that's actually where we were heading. Our first stop was going to be the Spice Plantation. And that was amazing. I learned so much. So our guide took us around the plantation where you've just got diversity of plants all thriving in and around each other. Because I kind of thought, I don't know what I thought, mate, but I th in my head I had an idea that it'd be, <clears throat> excuse me, like chilies in one area maybe and like everything grown in rows and whatever, but they don't. It's a proper ecosystem and everything grows in and around everything else. And really, really interesting. Um, and they all need some of them some of the plants are creepers and they need other trees to support their growth and on yeah it was a fascinating experience so we learned how all the familiar spices were grown uh, prepared and dried by hand and we also learned why spices such as saffron and vanilla are so costly it's the process of preparing them that are so labor intensive and then this obviously drives up the cost 
um and so like i think it was for the vanilla pods that we we see everywhere uh, silly money it's because they have to be hand pollinated the plants have to be hand pollinated because i don't know why i don't know if it was because uh the insects that used to do it don't don't do it anymore or whether it's because um the vanilla didn't come from there in the first place there was so much information i just couldn't keep it all straight in my head um, but anyway for whatever reason they have to pollinate the plants by hand so obviously that drives the, the cost up um and then we we were picking nutmeg off the trees and discovered that the red coating around the nutmeg is called mace now i've heard of that from when i was a child but apparently you can't buy this in many countries now because of the bugs that hitch a ride in it because it's kind of like this red casing that goes around the nutmeg um and so lots of countries have banned it because um they want to they want to prevent the spread of these little mites that cause no end of trouble we saw cacao growing on a tree learned how pepper is treated differently to create the white green and black varieties it was just absolutely fascinating um and obviously i bought so many spices to bring home with me can't wait to cook with them can't wait um and yeah i just i learned so much and it's just amazing to see peppercorns growing and being able to you know pick the spices from where they obviously don't use them in the fresh state they have to be prepared and dried but yeah what an amazing amazing experience just fantastic and then for me oh we went this was just mind-blowing we went to an elephant sanctuary for an elephant ride now i had mixed emotions about this so i sat with my decision for a while so i don't like to see animals used and abused um and um i had heard that india didn't have the best um they weren't the best at treating the elephants but anyway it was explained to us that these particular elephants um, at the sanctuary had not been taken from the wild these were the elephants that had been separated from their herd or had been injured in some way and would have been left to die um, and so they've been rescued um, and they were taken to the shelter where they're very well fed and cared for and they really did look happy and healthy and oh just beautiful animals and the sanctuary itself is subject to regular welfare inspections um, and it it all seemed very um, yeah very well looked after and very well maintained and the animals look beautiful and then it was also explained that it's incredibly expensive to um, maintain an elephant sanctuary um, especially as elephants live for 30 plus years um, and so they have to bring an income in somehow, which is why the elephants were providing rides. Now the rides were kept to an absolute minimum, like kind of 10 minutes. The animals worked for a very short period each day, um, but this was kind of working for their living, which is, I guess, what all of us have to do, you know, if some of every day is given up to doing something to contribute for our own um, basic living needs. And, and this was kind of how it was explained to us that the elephant rides had come about. Um, and again, like watching the elephants interact with their um, not owners, but the guys that were looking after them, the keepers, you could see that there was there was no use of sticks. There was just a gentle word here and there, just to get the elephant to move on. Maybe uh, elephants seemed quite happy in what they were doing. And I guess at any point, you know, they're, they're big animals. If it didn't want to do it, it could stop. But anyway, I, I guess you could argue that um, argument round and round all day long and never really come up with the right right answer so anyway long story short i went on my elephant ride and it was absolutely fantastic now i'm really strong on communicating with animals and i do believe that you should ask so i did ask the elephant for mission and got like a got a look so i don't, I don't really know how to 
interpret that, but I didn't feel it was negative. And I sat at the front, so I could touch the, uh, her head. So her name was Yumani, and she's 29 years old. And I could put my hands on her head, so I just gently, a little bit of Reiki, just to communicate. And I was just amazed at how wiry her hair was and just how how smooth and beautiful she oh she was just beautiful i absolutely loved it loved it loved it um and it was such a privilege to be able to sit on her back so i really hope that she knew that i respected and appreciated the gift of her time and yeah what an amazing experience um and she also liked a little bit of a rub behind her ears she liked that a lot so i was very happy to do that for her and she was the most beautiful soul so after dismounting she allowed me to rub her trunk and look into her eyes and oh it was just oh such a beautiful connection it was really amazing and really humbling and i don't think i'll ever forget it it was just incredible um and to be fair anything that happened after that was going to be hard to follow so it was really good that we had to head back on the bus and um complete our journey up to thekadi in the east because nothing was going to top that. So early afternoon and we arrived in the jungle resort um, and had time to explore our surroundings. And this again, you just, I love being out in nature. I love being near the animals. I love the energy. And this, you're just, you're walking through the jungle and, you know, like, oh, I don't know, 10 steps away, there's an antelope looking at you. Just with real curiosity, no, no fear, no concern. Just, oh, all right, who are you? And uh, yeah, monkeys in the trees again, and just amazing. So we saw monkeys and antelopes and jungle fowl and all manner of birds. Um, and like I said before, they know that they have nothing to fear. They, they've they not been taught through generations that that humans are to be feared because they've been protected for so long. So they're quite interested and quite happy to interact with you, which is just incredible. And the trees are magnificent. They're just you know standing tall and proud and providing a glorious canopy of lush greenness with flowers that are vibrant colors and it's just it's just a stunning beautiful display uh and then we had to go because mid-afternoon we were on a riverboat safari on the periyar lake uh, which is very cool and we knew from our previous trip to india that we were unlikely to see any of the cats of prey as they tend to sleep during the day and only really venture uh, to the water in the early morning and early evening but you know you live in hope uh, and it was a lovely ride along the river we were lucky enough to see samba deer a water buffalo and some wild elephants along with um, some birds that i couldn't identify but yeah it was really amazing to see a herd of elephants in the distance that was just mind-blowing so that, that was a really lovely experience, very gentle, very relaxing. Uh, and once back at the hotel, we decided to call off in the pool, <laughs> which I think we probably shared with the monkeys. The monkeys were everywhere. Um, and I did hear that they did like a swim in the pool, but um, they don't come in when, they, when the humans are in there. But they are interested. They are interested and they sit on the benches and bounce off the ceilings watching you while you're swimming, which is something I'd never experienced before. So again, all good. Brilliant experience. Just need to keep an eye on where the monkeys are because they can turn quite quickly. Um, so that was really interesting. Uh, and I'm really happy to um, report that we had no monkey invaders in our room this time, like we did on Shimla at our last trip. Um, we, meant, we remembered to keep the windows shut and all was well. But yeah, just amazing, amazing, amazing. And um, Because it is a resort in a jungle, again, no one is allowed to leave or enter the grounds between 5.30 and 7 as the nocturnal hunters are awake. And as I said before, a tasty human would be a lovely treat. 
And then as if that hadn't been enough excitement uh, for one day, we were told that if we wanted to go down to the security hut, which is where they stop people walking through the jungle after um, at dinner time, essentially, um, then we might get a chance to see porcupines. So headed down there at half past seven, quarter to eight, something like that. And oh my goodness, it was just amazing. As we're walking down there, there was a deer just beautiful just standing there watching us all walk down absolutely no fear nodding her head as we walk past it's just amazing and then yep this quite big they're quite big the porcupines like shuffled its way out and uh oh it's just amazing and it's got like a measured plod and it came out with a baby at first and then the baby kind of scuttled off so whether i don't know whether we frightened it or whether it went back to its mum um, but the porcupine was just completely unfazed and looking for food. And we watched it for a good 20 minutes as it foraged. And then there's something spooked it in the in the undergrowth. It raised its quills. And it's just amazing. I've never seen one before. And to see one at such close range, just, just so grateful that I've had, or that I get the opportunity to witness these amazing experiences. I just, I love it. I just absolutely love traveling and I love seeing animals in their surroundings and I just feel blessed to be able to to yeah to see all this and to learn so so much um, and so that was just like that blow my mind again it was just like I don't know how much more I could take that day so after a dinner and a short meditation mainly based around gratitude it's time to pack an overnight bag sort the suitcases out in readiness for a five-hour bus ride to Aleppo in the east the next day and a night on a houseboat. How exciting. Hope you'll join me for the rest of our adventure in the next episode. Take care. Thanks for listening. Hi again. So thanks for joining me. So now we've set off bright and early and we're on our journey to Alapi through uh, the tea plantation line road. And then oh, we were lucky enough to see all the beautifully dressed women picking the tea in the fields. And they've got these big old bags like from they hold on their head that go down the side and we're told that they need to pick 27 kilos of leaves each day to get paid 360 rupees and they work six days a week from eight till five so 360 rupees is three pounds 60 a day all right just let that sink in three pounds 60 a day eight till five 35 degree heat so we're all kind of like, hmm, that's that's not great. And then it was explained to us that actually in exchange for their work, they also receive subsidised accommodation and plentiful food for their families. So that kind of brought their wages up a bit. And it was pointed out that the bus driver only earns £6 a day and he doesn't get the benefits of the accommodation and the food. So you could kind of see, you could kind of begin to see how maybe that actually it wasn't um, as unfair as it seemed in the first place. Now, despite what I perceive as a hardship or lower standard of living um, that I would like to see for them for the work that I, they do, the women were smiling and waving and looked happy and well. So I think it probably serves as a good reminder that I need to be mindful of staying in my business and not thinking that the way I live is maybe better than someone else. Because when we actually spoke to Indians about the poverty or the standard of living, they I know it seems hard to believe, but they profess to be happy as long as they had their family and their friends, a roof over their head and their health, and they actually think that we are to be pitied because we worship money and we give our lives away in pursuit of it. We neglect our families and our friends. We allow it to affect our health. And even when we do have it, they don't think that we look happy. 
And I thought these were, yeah, this is bang on the money. These were wise words indeed. And maybe I just need to like wind my neck in and just pay attention to what, you know, we're doing over here rather than commenting on what someone else does. So stopped at a rest stop to make use of the facilities. And it was there they've got like, so it's kind of got like a restaurant attached to it and all the rest of it. And they were just squeezing freshly, or they fresh pineapples. So Kerala, which is the district that we're in uh, um, in the south, uh, is renowned for the pineapples that it grows and each plant only produces one pineapple um, and so like when we are very wasteful at Christmas because I don't know why we get pineapples at Christmas in the UK but I do know they tend to sit in the fruit bowl for quite a while this will not be happening in future now I know that one well I shouldn't have been wasting it in the first place but now I absolutely know that one pineapple comes from one plant and the plant dies I'll be making sure that I eat my pineapple before my chocolate in future and but oh it's just amazing so we watched them cut it all up juice it all and then it is just the it's like nectar from the gods it is the tastiest pineapple juice you will ever i guarantee ever 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 in your life have it was sweet and delicious and fresh tasting and in that heat so so welcome yeah absolutely divine so they, and they don't add anything to it either. There's no water or sugar added. It's just the fruit, and it's and the oh, just amazing. So from there we visited a rubber plantation. Didn't know an awful lot about this either, but apparently the trees have to be really carefully managed. So left alone, these trees might live for sixty odd years, but the trees that they use for rubber are grown for forty and then replaced with new saplings. And once at a suitable age, with about an eighteen inch trunk. Um, a skilled worker with a very special knife cuts a groove around one side of the tree uh, early each morning and then they tap a bowl into the trunk and leave for the day while the sap runs into the bowl. And a, they put like this plastic skirt around the tree to prevent the rainwater from entering the wound that they've made because if it does, obviously it will cause the tree to rot from the inside and they want to protect the tree. So, um, so they keep it safe with this skirt thing and the sap that comes out is actually latex and then they take the latex, they mix it with water and formic acid and they leave it to dry in the sun. So it forms a small cake, which they then squeeze to remove all the water and then they smoke it. And this is essentially rubber. Um, and so I think they had to get the same little collection from 20 trees and that made a rubber mat of about two foot by one foot, which is then sold to the rubber shops for them to make the rubber products that we're familiar with, like tyres and stuff. Um, and for the latex products, the cakes are sold to factories to make, you know, condoms, surgical gloves, all that kind of stuff. So that was really cool. I, I was really interested to learn that. Then back on our journey, we continued south until we reached Alapi. Uh, so by this time we're on the river and the houseboats, which are amazing looking, absolutely amazing. And Kerala is famous for these houseboats, which are essentially converted barges and very basic in their design. Um, and you've kind of got like an open area up top and you've got um, a layer with the galley and the bedrooms and um, then like a, a sitting room at the front so you can see. But there were so many of them on the water. Honestly, it was like the M4. It was just crazy. But yeah, what a lovely way to spend an evening. And you're just, you're just gently pootling along these rivers watching life go by. So... Once we were on board, we were given a traditional uh, Carolyn lunch, which is served on a banana leaf. It's called sadia. Uh, and it's a meal of rice, dal and curries. And yeah, absolutely fantastic. 
So we then enjoyed our leisurely cruise past palm trees and rice paddies waving tall and sundry. And as I said, you can see daily life going on as we pass by. So you've got women doing the washing in the river, men fishing, children playing, and the views were just breathtaking. Just so green and lush and mirrored in the calm water. And we were lucky enough to watch birds darting in and out, catching their fish just amazing and as i said we were sharing this houseboat so we played uh, card games in the evening and out came the indian whiskey which of which we did a few shots and someone else in the group had some indian brandy which we all gave a try as well and um, i have to say both were quite pleasant especially when you think how little you've paid for them but also they taste nothing like whiskey or brandy but good time was had by all and after our night on board, we cruised a little further before enjoying breakfast and then disembarking to continue south uh, to Trivandrum, where it was again a mere 37 degrees. The only thing I would say about our houseboat, or if you're thinking of hiring a houseboat, is really do your research well, because some are better kept than others. And um, while someone else we knew had, had an immaculate one, our one wasn't quite as clean as we would have liked it. But in the swing of things, we still had an amazing time and very grateful for the experience. So, uh, first stop on our journey was um, a lottery stall where we all bought tickets for that night's draw to become rupee millionaires. Draws held every single night, uh, loads of prizes, like absolutely loads of prizes from millions of rupees down to like a kind of a hundred, which is a quid. Um, and yeah, so we, we all had a laugh and... Um, we, were, we could check those later uh, the next day to see how we got on with them. Well, I think I think the draw was at three o'clock, so we could check them in the evening. Um, and then we, from there, we went on to a nursery because we wanted to buy some seeds to take home. Uh, and while we were there, obviously, had our photo taken again <laughs> with, with what seemed like every member of staff was so, so lovely and so interested in what we were doing. And they had a load of durian fruit from Thailand. Um, so they opened that up and let us try it. And it's a really, I don't know if you've ever had it before. I hadn't. So another new experience for me. Kind of looks a bit like a jackfruit, but smaller and a bit more, bit more round. That, whereas the jackfruit's quite oval in its size and its shape. Um, anyway, you open it up and it's got this, like, it's quite a strange texture. It's got a big old nut in the middle of it. Um, but it kind of tastes like a cross between a banana and a melon. But anyway so lovely of them to let us try that and another just another experience just ticking experiences off the list left right and center it was just an incredible incredible journey so i uh, stopped off and got some lunch and then headed off to the jate uh para earth center probably haven't said that right um to see the jatayu the bird sculpture so it's a huge and when i say huge massive sculpture of a bird that lost its life to rama and can be reached by either climbing up 900 steps 900 steps in 37 degrees don't think so or cable car that was my option uh and that was obviously a really cool thing to do as well because you're hanging in this cable car over a massive drop and the views are just amazing um and you can just see everything the site you can see for miles around it's amazing anyway so that we get to the top and this sculpture is a clawed bird on its back on top of a hill and it's just absolutely huge and a, a feat of of engineering getting all the stone up there and the sculpture itself amazing um, and from the top of this hill you can see for miles absolutely miles and the view is breathtaking 
palm trees standing along lush greenery with what looked like small villages tucked in and yeah just for miles and miles just the most amazing view and next to the sculpture is a temple for Lord Krishna um, which we were allowed to walk around but not go inside which is absolutely fine I have no issue with not entering the temple of other people's beliefs um, but it's very obvious in uh, Kerala so when we're in the north we were welcomed within Hindi temples but apparently in the south that's not the case only Hindus can um, can enter them which is again absolutely fine just walking around it was enough for me but it had kind of quite an oriental style design it reminded me of a Chinese temple but beautiful with um, beautiful silver pots outside and um, representations of Krishna it was amazing uh, so I was very happy to have been able to see that and then once back down uh, again by cable car we arrived back at our tail just in time literally just in time to nip across the road to the beach and watch the sunset on the Arabian Sea and oh, it, it wasn't disappointing the colors were amazing uh, it was a sight that I've wanted to see for ages and to, yeah, to I feel incredibly grateful to have finally witnessed it. And it was just the icing on the cake that day. So, so pretty. And it was it was madness going on there. So we're on this beach and it's like, like the old-fashioned seafront. So there was little shows going on and there was pony rides and there was a random train going up and down. Uh, lots of food stalls. So, so many families out just having a lovely time by the sea. And we'd been lucky enough to grab a couple of chairs in a coffee house. And so we sat there with our cup of black tea or a little glass of black tea as we watched the sun go down. And then we had a little wander around and there was a big sculpture of a naked woman, randomly enough, uh, in the ground. And there was uh, further back from the beach, there was a helicopter on show and you could adopt a pet if you wanted. It was just it was just a lovely, lovely evening um, out and a brilliant way to round off the day. Uh, and then the next morning we were taken on a tour of Trivandrum and that culminated in a visit to the Sri Padma Baswami temple. Again, not allowed inside the temple um, and it's so, so beautiful and it's got it's got this intricate design of carvings that on what I, I don't know, but it looks like white marble uh, and it's topped with gold posts and oh, it's just amazing to see. And the queue to visit the temple of Vishnu and it's where he's when it's the deity is represented with Vishnu laying on a snake um with the lotus flower coming out of his belly button um just incredible 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 um so every but everyone in this queue is dressed in their absolute finery the clothing was beautiful uh, you have to wear a dothi which is the only acceptable form of leg covering and it's kind of the long skirt that the men wear um, but even the women had to wear it over their saris and the children were dressed in these beautiful outfits of white and gold and there was such a lovely air of celebration about the place and people were queuing to, to be allowed into the temple and it, it was a you could just got the feeling it was a very very special thing for people to be doing and we were very lucky to be to be just allowed to witness it from the outside it was just incredible so yeah really cool um, and alongside the temple is the Puthan uh, Malaga Palace. Might not be pronouncing these right, but go with me. Um, and this is known as the Palace of Horses, as all the roof supports are hand-carved, smiling wooden horses. And it was built by a Maharaja as his palace. Now, unfortunately for him, he died at 33, which is only a year after he'd finished the palace. So he only lived there for 
a year and then the palace was locked up for 150 years until it was opened as a museum in 1995 and it, it's a beautiful building with carved wooden or painting ceilings which are all individual to each room and I think they said there was 80 rooms so you know like it's it's just incredible uh, and the absolutely crazy thing for me which I still can't get my head around they've got like these um, benches as you walk through these rooms and sitting on them are like Ming vases or mice and pottery or, oh, I don't know, all these famous antiques that you've heard the names of. Literally just sat there. They're not in, so a lot of them aren't in glass. There's no protection. There's no security guards. There's no ropes. There's no, you know, no nothing. They're just there. I mean, one wrong turn or you trip and you take out a priceless Ming vase. But by the same token, everybody was incredibly respectful of what's around them. There weren't kids running around. Um, admittedly, you're on camera all the time. But even so, the the idea that you can get that close to something with such history is is an additional blessing. It's amazing. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, you're very wary about where you're putting your feet and where you're swinging your bag because, God, can you imagine? Oh, my goodness, that would be horrendous. Uh, and the guide we had was brilliant. He was explaining that everything was made by hand and all the different... Um, pieces that have been given so um the maharaja that had lived there had given queen victoria an ivory throne all made from the elephant tusks and they don't don't harvest the elephants for the tusks these are tusks that had come out of dead elephants that had been buried and so they'd made use of uh, the animal products but then there was also this amazing crystal throne and and it all lit up. Oh, you just you just can't imagine the wealth that they must have had to be able to create these uh, absolute works of art. And yeah, feel very very privileged to have been able to walk around. It was really quite close in there because obviously no air conditioning and it's an old building and it is very hot outside. And uh, and that makes you think as well how it must have been to live. And there's little tiny windows cut into the roof line. Um, for the princesses to look out because they would not have left the palace it was, they were not allowed to leave the palace and because of the matriarchal line the way it runs in uh, south india their husbands that would have been arranged for them would come to live in their home because that was where the power seat was but yeah so their whole life was spent just looking out of a little tiny window in this essentially beautiful jail i guess but anyway it was really interesting i'm really glad we got a chance to look around it um, and yeah, so uh, then we were allowed out to have a little wander around the temple stalls and <laughs> stopping for another lottery ticket on our return. Uh, we we went um, back to the hotel for a last swim, um, another massage and our journey to the airport. So again, another Ayurvedic massage, very different this time. I, I really enjoyed this one. Well, I enjoyed them both, but this one was seemed... Uh, different I don't even know what she did differently really because it was quite similar in the fact that you, you know you were naked again and you set off with a head massage but her style of massage was different to the first woman and there was uh, different draining techniques she used on my face and different products and yeah so it was a really lovely relaxing experience and then at dinner that night we checked the lottery tickets and it turned out my husband had won very happy to have won 100 rupees that's a whole pound that he won on the Indian lottery so he was over the moon and has not stopped telling everybody since <laughs> but it was a really lovely way to end um, our time in India um, and I have to say South India is very different to the north but we loved every single minute of it it's just 
a beautiful beautiful place and i'm really so humbled and grateful for the experience we had and the people we met and all oh, the information that i've learned and and just everything that we were able to do and see and smell and learn and yeah it's been an incredible journey really loved our trip and i do talk about mindfulness and manifesting all the time alongside with the power of gratitude and i often see people's uh, disbelief on people's faces when i tell them that it all stems from something as simple as paying attention to your thoughts and making them work for you instead of against you but it it really is that true when you choose to live in the present and live as much as possible as you can in the moment to have a clear idea of how you want your life to look and then put the effort into believing that it's already yours and being grateful for everything and everyone in your life um that's how it works and i'm living proof of this you know i focused on going to india and then prepared for the opportunity when it arose and i have not been just once but i've been twice in the last year and have been busy manifesting so many more trips which are already booked for the coming months and years that i hope you'll join me with um join me on as i share them through my podcast but being mindful changes the way that you view everything there are we live at such a pace and we are often keen to get to the next experience but actually centering yourself especially when you're traveling centering yourself and enjoying every aspect of it trying to remember every smell trying to experience new tastes you know saying yes to new things being aware that you know you're being invited into somebody else's culture and making sure that you're respecting that and being appropriate behaving appropriately while you're there uh, meeting new people, uh, taking their wants and needs into consideration, uh, all of this, this is what brings the richness of life around. And as you become mindful and as you centre in your own identity and you become authentic, that's what draws people to you and experiences to you because everything that we um, think and feel and say and believe has a, an energetic vibration. And making those work for you are what can bring the most amazing experiences, opportunities and people into your life. And when you apply that in your travelling as well, it just heightens the whole experience and it has been an absolute joy. So thank you, South India. You've been amazing. Thank you very much to you for listening to this podcast. And I hope you will join me on my next adventure in Bali at the end of June. Safe travels. Take care. Namaste.